This episode of Idle Thumbs is brought to you by Squarespace, the best, fastest, easiest, most compatible and most responsive way to make your very own website, blog, portfolio, or online store. If you go to squarespace.com and use the offer code THUMBS at checkout, you will get 10% off your first order and sign up for a year, get a free domain name. That's squarespace.com with the offer code THUMBS. A plus. Mm -hmm. A plus ad read. Yeah. I kind of, I like doing these. Like, I played Dark Souls last night, and I ate shit. And it's like, you know what? I've just been doing these ads every week for a couple years now, and I'm actually good at it. And it's one thing in my life that I know that when I start doing it, I'll be good at it, and I'll finish it. More on that after this. It's April 14th, 2016. This is Idle Thumbs 258, I believe. I'm Chris Remo. I believe I'm Mick Brecken. I believe I'm Jake Rodkin. And I believe in Dark Souls. Do you? No. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> Do you, you, but the thing you don't believe in is your ability yeah, to be competent right. at Dark Souls. I fully believe in Dark Souls. <laughs> You've uh, lost belief in yourself. Yes. <laughs> I, really ha- I really have, with respect to my... Like, yeah ability to sort of engage with video games that i'm not just automatically good at Mm. you know Mm -hmm. um oh man i so i i started playing dark souls the night it came out dark souls 3 that is and um i mean in case it wasn't obvious and um you've been playing the original dark souls for years from starting from the night it came out (laughs) (laughs) and i made a character and you know it was already a bad sign that i was like bad at the character creator you know oh, like no. already i'm just like man i am just apparently everyone is bad at dark everyone, souls 3's menus well yeah. yeah i mean the dark soul the dark the souls games have always kind of been like that i i the character creator i mean i spent two hours making a character like i spent two hours really yeah okay and i realized like 20 that, minutes oh i can't make anything look good this is i'm just really bad at knowing what a face looks like <laughs> But it, I, then I realized, like, no, it's just like the Mario 64 thing where well, you pull on one side of the face and the other side, like, <laughs> but moves over. But it's not like Mario 64 because they're trying to create, like, really <laughs> realistic looking characters in the sense that they, they are not, you know, they don't have crazy cartoon proportions or anything. Like, they're right. trying to constrain things to be at least within a remotely plausible human proportion and, and sort of rendering style. But when you do that only things that actually like when you do that there's a very narrow band of what actually looks like a human being because oh, yeah. our eyes will detect weird proportions and imperfections very easily that's what the uncanny valley is so they basically are giving you an uncanny valley generator it's the like, dark souls 3 character generator was made for monster factory basically it was monster factory <laughs> what it's uh you've never watched monster factory it's I a think so. i think it's a feature on polygon it's justin mcelroy and Man, I don't remember who's on it, but they basically just use character creators to make, imagine what this is. to make the most tortured, horrible people they possibly can, it, uh, okay, and it's really okay. good. Anyway. But, well, so maybe, maybe it is. I don't know. I mean, it feels to me Maybe like it's meant for that show. <laughs> no, I just, I just mean that- It totally is. I don't know. I'm, maybe you could actually make a totally crazy looking thing, but my experience with it is that you can just make a sort of weirdly distressing and disturbing- You can either make a pretty convincing oh, human or a- an unsettling, oh, just yeah. off human. Well, like <laughs> you know what I mean, like okay. because like, again, they're giving you such a tight range of bad of people faces, yeah. and yeah. so it's like, oh, you can just be just like 
50% outside of what reality would be. Is that bad, to- though? That sounds like good. That sounds like what I mean, maybe just, what you want. It's, well, it's sort of demoralizing <clears throat> because I'm already... It also sounds right- like maybe what you want. Well, it's a good lead into Dark Souls because... <laughs> <laughs> right from the beginning, I'm already like, oh, man, everything. This is just slightly wrong. This is just kind of and really hard to do weird. well. Yeah, really hard <laughs> to just nail. Um, and, you know, I'd played Souls games before. Although I didn't play Bloodborne or um, I did play some Dark Souls, too. Um, I played the early ones the most just because they fit into like what I was playing at the time, I guess. But uh, by which I mean Demon Souls and the original Dark Souls. Um, and so I, I, in theory, get how this game works, right? Like I get the sort of patience and like importance of timing and dodging and, and you know, like exploration and, or the particular kind of exploration these games have. I get that stuff, but I'm just really bad at it now. And it's kind of like if you took a calculus class tomorrow. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's, oh, oh right, I understand how sign like, okay, things, there's like cosines. Limits. Yeah. Oh, I remember this seeing this symbol before. Mm-hmm. Now take a test. Yeah. Exactly. Over and over <laughs> exactly. and over again. Well, and they do this like the classic thing where you, you fight failed. a boss super, you failed. super early on. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, fuck this. Like, I, so I created a character first and it was um, like a magician or sor- it was a sorcerer. Yes, please. And because, uh, yeah, you know, I was trying to get closest to a wizard. Mm hmm. And I just didn't really think very hard about what the sort of strengths and weaknesses of that character, that class are. And so I, you know, I found myself using my crappy dagger a lot. And I'm like, man, these just like shitty early enemies. You have to hit them like a bunch of times before they die. And it was like already concerning. And then, um, you know, I eventually realized, oh, you're really actually supposed to be using the magic with this the magic is actually what's powerful with this character and and yeah and uh then when i got to the the first boss and like the first form i'm like okay this is fine and then it explodes into this just like, yeah. terrifying goo monster <laughs> yeah. which looks really cool like the design is like really great i think um but just like nope with my shitty slow wind up wand where my guy has to like stand there and like generate a little magic missile and shoot it off like meanwhile this crazy thing is like swiping halfway across the arena um so i died a lot and then i started over last night and i made i literally made the exact i just took the actual default character the one that they give you i'm like they probably know what's what is good for a baby and so i just i didn't change one single attribute i changed the name to game and then i just press <laughs> confirm start game <laughs> And I, it was like a revelation <laughs> right. to just like kill every enemy in one hit. I was like, oh my god, you can just kill all these guys as long as they don't you don't let they you know let them hit you very much. And uh, and then I still ate shit on the boss like, a lot of times, <laughs> and then I alt F for the game. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's extreme. I made it past that boss. I was surprised actually because uh-huh. that boss. I feel like I I feel like I played every Souls game at this point for 30 minutes and had the exact same experience like i don't know if you have this experience but i feel like the first level of all of these games including bloodborne feels like literally the same like mental process for me where it's oh there's an incredibly difficult boss in the first two minutes of this game okay i got past that 
all right, now there's a level that I'll just never get through. <laughs> like now there's like I mean, a hallway get- with like six guys and I'm, I just know I'm never, I'm just going to fucking get owned over and over and over again. Did you, did you progress very far in any of the, any of the games of this lineage? No, I've okay. never, I've because, never because broken past back in the a boundary. Day. Of yeah, you were especially in in Demon's Demon Souls. Yeah, I remember one, was the Demon one that Souls, you really, I really played a lot of that game. Yeah. I went deep into that game. I I I don't know why. I I feel like I frequently have this reaction to things where like the first weird, like jankiest one in the series is the one that I like the most. Very mm. like Mass Effect One is by far my favorite Mass Effect, and like, it's also just I think for you the first one that you play. Once you play the sequels, you're kind of like I played it. Yeah, that that is frequently a reaction I have. Um, but I don't. I didn't really necessarily feel that with the Souls games, in the sense that I didn't feel like. I I, just, I don't know. I, maybe maybe it is that. Maybe it's not. I, I I can't really diagnose. But like, I can tell this game is really good and cool. Mm-hmm. And I just wish that. Okay, wait, Nick. So I threw this out half jokingly on Twitter, but I think we should maybe actually do it. Do you want to come over to my apartment? Oh, and yeah. We can stream Dark Souls, and people can tell us. Yeah. Why not? Why we're. Why you're shit at it, babies, yeah. and yeah. how to be less bad. That's the only way to do it. Because I mean, that's that's the only thing that's going to yeah. happen if we play this and put it on the internet. Yeah, but <laughs> that's going to tell us we're terrible. That's fine. I legitimately believe, like having known you as long as I have, and like having played games with you for a long time, I think we can succeed. Oh, you think we? I've climb. known you for years, and I know that in your heart, <laughs> yeah, is is the heart of a great the dark champion. soul. Yeah. <laughs> in your heart is a dark soul. <laughs> <laughs> it's true <laughs> it turns out this stream will be an intervention it's fine <laughs> yeah i don't know right. i think i think we could you it was so funny because you sent me that link to last night to that youtube video from 2010 of oh yeah us playing starcraft and like nuclear striking enemies Man. which that was a funny thing to see but it was coming right as i was just like well I can't play video games anymore. <laughs> like, I'm bad at them now, forever. I mean, yeah. especially because last week, um, uh, you know, we played uh, a Hyperlight Drifter, and I, mm. I did actually play more Hyperlight Drif- Drifter and <clears throat> like surpassed the part I was stuck in. I just got the one health, fucking. I just perfected it, in yeah. a, you know, and I got a bunch farther. Although I still find that game to be sort of like, um. I don't know, uh, illegible or something. Like, there's a lot of just <laughs> yeah. like graphical elements that I literally don't understand what they're trying to communicate to me. Mm. But maybe I want to hear from Jake about that. So is, I don't know. Is there anything you wanted to say more about Dark Souls? No. No. no I mean, okay. yeah. It's it's. I apologize to our listeners. <laughs> probably like love Dark because I just that game is so much in the like well, in I mean, the zeitgeist and like everyone is so excited about it and then we come on the air i will say i don't know i'm bad i well you know i will say that the for whatever reason i did you know i booted up dark souls 2 and that didn't really capture me in dark any souls kind 2 of is is often the listed as sort of the redheaded stepchild yeah, of, okay. the, of the souls well, but yeah i don't know how I, don't, I mean people will tell me i'm wrong for even right asserting that as not a dark souls person but um what's wrong with redheaded stepchildren why is that a thing why are they bad sorry it's i don't know i've always fu- wondered that i'm i think they're I'm, irish <laughs> that's honestly fuck it's not I mean, a redhead probably... stepchild it is the odd one out sorry yeah. odd ones yeah <laughs> um i think i've heard that too but i don't really know why yeah because i didn't really play it very much but yeah Maybe i played, Blood, I I played, played bloodborne Anderson. yeah yeah i played bloodborne i try, I really gave bloodborne a shot i feel like this one though 
maybe it's just because I've been playing a lot of games lately that are difficult and that are that have this kind of curve. Yeah. But I feel like maybe I'm ready to just dive off and just go for it. Like I, I had the feeling in my in my dark soul that nice. like I'm probably going to just okay. Well, then you should actually, definitely come over and we then should we should totally definitely we should definitely do this because yeah. I f- I feel like for whatever reason yeah I don't know if it's you felt just the pull that this of game, the dark soul yeah I felt I felt like okay. I beat this stupid boss. How much right. harder can this be? So let's <laughs> well, let's stream and I'll find out. I'll make it harder out. by mixing <laughs> you a <laughs> stiff tiki drink because I've, yeah, I've gotten like, really into that over the last like few weeks. That's fine. I'm <laughs> sure that's a great combination. <laughs> it's like a, a really precise Twitch game and yeah. drink. Yep. Just fill yourself <laughs> with some, sugar and uh, and hard liquor. Yeah, right. but sometimes sometimes that kind of helps. I think. I yeah, think sometimes playing a game like that, being overly self conscious and self aware mm. about. Every single thing, like remember when we played a lot of Spelunky? I feel like frequently my most amazing Spelunky runs were the ones where I suddenly I didn't realize how well I was doing until I was like way farther than I'd gotten the last dozen runs. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, Actually, there's a game, another game I want to talk about this week related to this stuff, but uh, called Enter the Gungeon. Oh yeah, I didn't get to play that. But maybe let's talk about um, Hyperlight Drifter a bit. First, because our hyperlight drifter follow up segment, yeah. Well, because Jake, you've you've actually played it and you had not played it when we, yeah. Left. I, I've put about an hour into it, which I think is a little bit more than you guys had played last week, but prob- I've now put in at least that much, yeah. yeah. Um, my experience with hyperlight drifter more was probably aided by hearing about your guys' experience with hyperlight drifter. You guys were having a lot of difficulty sort of just reading the state of the game and reading some of the internal language and not knowing where to go and how the combat worked and whatever else. Um, because the game is super opaque about that stuff. So I went into it re- uh, first being on last week's episode and then reading what people said on the yeah. idle forums about it. Yeah. Um, idle forum thread about it was great. It was very helpful. Like the thing that it made me realize is my instinct. I, I started playing first without reading anything just to try and have that experience. And then the thing that I read on the forums that actually helped me get like basically break through and not be totally wrecked by this game is that the combat and it works like a brawler or something and not like a Zelda. Like my expectation, because the structure of it is so Zelda like is that if you touch someone, you'll be hurt and that you can't get up in people's faces unless you're basically going to use your sword or your weapon Mm. as an extension of yourself. But it actually works like a double dragon or something where you can touch people or like a fighting game. You can be up against a character and it's only when they're in an attack animation uh, oh. That you're gonna get hurt. You don't. You don't yeah. lose health just by being near people. And, it, and um, you know what's a funny thing about that? Just as like a weird sidebar, that really reveals how much the language of games is sort of arbitrary and mm. um, like trend driven, right? Because if you actually flash back to the age when Zelda games and brawlers were made in a sort of low resolution tech, you know, technological context, like the one that Hyperlight Drifter intentionally chooses, mm-hmm. right? Like a, what is it? 320 by 240 or something. Resolu- I don't know what resolution it's higher resolution that, but it's got that same feeling. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Of double, well, double true. pixels. This game is higher. Yeah. You're right. This, this game is obviously higher than it that. It still but, feels like at least two X yeah, like, pixels are made SNES, out of two X two blocks. SNES yeah. era roughly is what I mean. Yeah. Um, at the time, all games of most games Right, that had a sort of third-person character control, especially top-down or the sort of weird pseudo-top-down of a of a side-scrolling brawler. Um, those games, any they were anywhere as equally likely to occur. But now, most of the time, when someone chooses a retro aesthetic based on that era, generally speaking, it is more likely to be. Zelda style combat where or Mario style combat or something mm-hmm. to the extent that Mario has combat where touching the enemy harms you. Yep. Right? Like there's 
because of just the way that like the indie scene that favors that aesthetic has shaken out. Like now I have all these expectations for what it means when I see a game that looks like that. Right. But in this game where the, the combat has like, it's, it's, it's about, it seems like it's at least about combos and like doing some short attacks, then dodging out of the way, then doing a ranged attack and sort of like strafing enemies and like, like, you know, sort of getting large groups of them to follow you and having some sort of advantage yeah, you couldn't do it, but yeah, you're right. Though without any preconceived notions, your expectation is just it's a Zelda, and like that that totally owned me. But um, I was fortunate enough to figure out early how the currency system works, uh, and uh, hearing people's misunderstanding of how locks on doors work, I, right. I got that's so, like going into yeah. it with enough knowledge ahead of time made me like I'm really this game is a game that is that is for me i think yeah no that's awesome and it's a good point you make too about like hearing our experience and that putting you on uh better footing not because we had any specific insights to offer but more because it put you in the frame of mind that there is something to figure out like i yeah, I, yeah. that's another thing that i that didn't occur to me and again speaks to sort of expectation and convention is that when i went into this game it didn't even occur to me that i should be trying to find clues in a lot of these things because again Many games, especially a lot of modern indie games of this style, um, aren't using that iconography to necessarily like communicate a consistent language. They're just using it to convey a consistent flavor of the world, and that's a different yep. thing, right? Like there are a lot. There's a lot of just stuff in this game that I figured, oh, I will learn what this means later. Like eventually, this will become obvious to me in a very straightforward way because the game will like translate it, or because I'll have found a key or a legend or something. And I, I didn't make that d- decision intentionally. That was just sort of an unconscious thing mm-hmm. in my brain. Mm-hmm. Whereas really, you actually have to be trying to parse a lot of that stuff and figure out what it means. Yep. And that just did not occur to me. Like you go into what looks like a store and then a character just says an icon. And I was like, what is yeah. that? And I went to a couple different stores and that same icon kept showing up. I was like, okay, I think that is some sort of currency. And then finally out in the world, I picked up one piece of gold and that same icon did show up and fill in. And, and uh, I... I, I Figured out that I was right, but I would not have made the connection had I not deliberately gone into every single building in the town before I left and like talked to every single person. Right. Um, yeah. But the the thing that I actually am liking the most about Hyperlight Drifter is just is the way that the world is built structurally. Like my favorite thing, like probably my favorite place, the place that I go back to when I replay a Zelda game is the um, the Lost Woods in Link to the Past, mm. which is like the sort of like it's the one that has the color palette that looks like all the indie games where it's like, it's, it's, it's got, the, it's, it's a part of the Super Nintendo Zelda game, but they like, everything gets a little bit pasteled up because there's fog and there's all sorts of logs you can go into that right. then secretly reveal that there's a huge other pe- part of the woods you haven't gone to, or like you can slash the bushes apart and then it, like, you just know that like every two or three screens, there's going to just be a cave inside one of them that you drop into. So that part of the Zelda game, like it's messaged a little bit differently than most of Zelda. It's like, it's all about sort of poking at the edges of the world. Mm-hmm. And Hyperlight Drifter seems very much about that where like you can walk up the main corridor and the world seems very small. And that's the only part of the world that's actually on the big overview map. But so often there's just like a little bit of foliage off to the side between two rocks. And if you, if you walk into that, you'll just discover that there's another whole like third of this part of the world available to you that you hadn't noticed. And then the only way that, and then it, it'll eventually reconnect by you sort of wandering through th- two or three screens and maybe you'll meet an mm. NPC or have an encounter or find an upgrade. And then you realize that you can use the drift move, which lets you 
bridge uh, gaps right, the to dash. hop to hop back yeah. onto a part of the main map that you would have never known was really connected to anything had you not already made that journey. So, like, I've honestly had probably fewer enemy encounters than I should have in that first hour because I spent so much mm. time just, like, finding all the weird pockets of the map as I was playing. And I, I like that totally that, devoured my time and I found it really fun. That's represented at least my last hour of the game. I've probably played several hours of this game by this point. And my, my last hour, I've been sort of hugging like every ledge. Cause there's the crazy shit out and, there. Like, like dashing like... across stuff. And there are, I, I, I've encountered a thing that because of my play style in video games, generally, especially video games that have any kind of like reasonably explorable world, I've encountered a scenario that is very common to me, which is to reach a point of uncertainty as to whether this seemingly almost impossible like jump or climb I'm trying to make is even supposed to be possible in the game or character's current state. Right. And or then, whether I'm just like grabbing one pixel. Because I found a place where you can like dash across basically a corner in midair and if you do it precisely right mm -hmm. your character essentially like grabs a pixel on the edge and you can like sort of smush yourself into it and then you have to do it again and to across another gap and then there's like this whole area full of shit that i can see and i made it across once and then i died because i, I ran into an entirely new enemy type whose behavior was like so like are you accidentally sequence breaking right here either because you're literally never supposed to have made that connection or because there's an upgrade that you don't have have, or right. because this is deliberately put there by the designers yes. for a mega skilled player who's good at the drift move exactly. to get to. I have no idea. And in a game like this, I feel like I can't know. That's also okay, probably, right? It is It is okay. Um, but the, the time when it actually becomes kind of a bummer is in a game, and this isn't a criticism of the game, it's more a criticism of my like obstinance, but in a game like Ori, The Blind Forest, I got really into stuff like this, and then... 30 minutes later I would have like a triple jump or whatever mm. and that part is literally inconsequential right. just absolutely the so least challenging you don't know ever. in Hyperlight Drifter if there's going to be some upgrade path yeah you exactly yet. I, yeah. yeah 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 yep Oh, well, I, I didn't. So I now at least have seen. Now I understand what the upgrade paths are in the first place. Mm -hmm. When I first went into the upgrade buildings that allow you to like mm -hmm. upgrade your various stuff, I thought that was like an explanation of stuff I could already do. Oh, okay. I thought it was like training rooms. For, you know what I mean? I'm like, okay, this is like the place where is you go you, 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 to like fight the scarecrow thing, like you do in a lot of video games, right? You know, and you, this is just telling you like these are the ways you do these attacks, and I'm like, well, I don't get it, so I eventually left. And and now I you know I've I've upgraded I my I've I have the like Zelda sort of swing the sword around in mm -hmm. a mm. 180 degree arc sort of thing. Well, I guess in Zelda it's 360, but I think in this game it's 270 degrees or something. I don't know. The thing the the small dumb thing that I found the most difficult to internalize in Hyperlight Drifter, and now that I do, it's better. Was your character moves? Uh, like your character's uh, visual representation is very much like Link. It's a pixel art character, and it has I think. Um, eight different angles that you're drawn at. You're drawing moving up, down, left, right, and 45 degree angles in between. Yeah. But the actual drift move is entirely analog. You can drift it. You can do the the jump, the like the, right. the, the blink yeah, yeah, yeah. at any angle that your analog stick points at. And there's no visual representation on screen of the angle that you're going to jump at yeah. until you've executed the move. That took me so long to figure out because I thought that I would snap to up, down, left, right, and 45 right. degrees. See, and I would yeah. always fall off a cliff. Um 
And it frustrated me a little bit that the gun that you have, it's weird that you have a gun, but I find it really cool. I like it a lot. I like it. But I'm terrible at it because I think of what you're about to say. Well, the the gun, though, the gun actually draws your trajectory. You put the aim button down and then you can see the analog sticks. You can see the angle that you're going to go swing around, but the drift doesn't have that at all. Wait, is that a gameplay option? Because I don't, mine doesn't draw the where I'm going to shoot. You have to hold Mm. one. Are you playing with keyboard and mouse? Uh, no, I'm playing with a controller. Yeah, with a gamepad, you press one button to aim, and your gun comes out, and there's a radial there's a, circle around your character, yeah, and I, you can swing that around, and then when you let go, or when you press the dot. shoot button, there's just a tiny there's dot a tiny little that dot. swings around your character. Oh, does, that it, is, does it trace the line between you and the dot? No. It's no. Just a dot. Uh, but at least you can... literally didn't it's, notice it's a really I must subtle, be that blind and stupid. It's, it's very it's just, small. It's really subtle. Because it, I find that the the, anu- the actual animation, like the angle the arm is drawn at, your character's extended arm, it is not... Don't look at that. You've got to look at the dot, but the drift doesn't even have the dot. Um... Right. But yeah, I found the combination of the having your melee attack of your sword and the range attack of your gun really cool. And I, like, I guess you technically have that with Zelda because you have a bow and arrow and you have a sword. But I never play Zelda the way that I play Hyperlight Drifter. Probably in part because the gun does have that analog movement where you can go anywhere yeah. and then mm, right. shoot at a character. I don't know. It's that that combo is is feels really good when you get good at I it. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I wish that drifting, I wish as you were moving your character around, it had a little like red dot floating out on a ring that showed you the actual direction that your analog stick was yeah. being pressed. Because I've gotten better I at it by wish, feel now. I just but wish that both had an actual radius drawn. I wish that both the gun and the drift had a line. Just had a line. That's all I want. Yeah, I, it seems like they must have deliberately wanted you to get better at playing it by feel so they don't put the yeah, but art that's up. Yeah, that's the thing that I'm, I'm always... You're perpetually bad at? I, yeah. Like, I, I'm... I'm pretty good at using a controller just generally in the sense that like any video game player would be you know right. but i'm definitely better at using a mouse and keyboard and for games that don't play as well with the mouse and keyboard um i'm free i frequently feel like my aiming with my left thumb or my right thumb depending on what the game controls are is just o- always suffers yep you know in a first person game I'm, I'm pretty good at it but these like top down drawn exact radius man i never feel like i'm my brain is mapping it correctly a combat system only console kids will appreciate <laughs> <laughs> well I, not really because none of that those didn't exist when any of us were kids no, that's like true. analog sticks so that's true but i mean I, maybe you're just too old chris it's i am too, too old for old. games that's what i've learned about all this stuff um, now, you know what it is it's that when you were a kid hours just flew by and you became the equivalent yeah, of like a dota 2 master <laughs> on every fucking game because yes. you just went oh i <laughs> You know, the I spent an entire by, week playing this every your, day after school. Your brain was like uh, made out of like memory foam. So it would just remember everything that you do. Yeah. And like, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's sad. Your brain mattress is old and gross and just has an imprint, <laughs> an imprint in the shape of you. Help me, Casper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Just sitting there in your meandies. Just, just the old man, old yep, man letting Remo. My, letting my brain mattress rot. <laughs> yep, and then it's going to say, you died eventually. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. You want to take a break? Yeah. yeah why okay. not? Video games. Huh? This episode of Idle Thumbs is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the best, easiest, most responsive, most user friendly way to create your very own professional website portfolio blog or online store with no coding or web development or design skills required it's drag and drop it's really easy you can go to squarespace.com and start making a website without putting in a credit card or anything just to figure out how it all works 
And if you go to squarespace.com and use the promo code THUMBS, you will get 10% off your first order. And if you sign up for a year, you will get a free domain name. So we have another Idle Thumbs reader who wrote in telling us about a website uh, created with the Idle Thumbs, with the Thumbs promo code. He writes, hey, Thumbs, I wanted to thank you for recommending Squarespace and wanted to show you my own website, prettypunk.net. Uh, here, my friends and I post our various projects. It's still in, in its infant stage with a game editorial page titled Glitch, but the most consistently updated project is a podcast my roommate and I host called The Macabre Sort. My roommate and I discuss horror films in a Siskel and Ebert-esque style, but to a lesser degree. We swear a lot, but we're working on it. If you're wondering about the name, Pretty Punk has dual meanings. We're punk to a reasonable degree, but we are somewhat attractive in punk. The joke is that we aren't all that attractive, I guess. So anyway, that's Tony Garcia. If you go to prettypunk.net, you can see uh, this website. It actually, I'm looking at it on my phone, but I looked at it on a desktop as well, and it looks particularly cool on the desktop because it has this huge, cool line art uh, on the front page. And there's that podcast on there. It looks like they've done about uh, 16 episodes so far. That's pretty cool. And if you want to make your own website using our promo code, go to squarespace.com. Enter code THUMBS at checkout. You'll get 10% off. You sign up for a year. You get a domain name thrown in. So it's really everything you need to make a website. Super easy to uh, make a podcast or a blog or whatever else. Just and anything. It's, cool. it's Just pretty anything easy to make a podcast. Eventually, all <laughs> Idle Thumbs listeners will have websites made with the promo code THUMBS. And then we won't have anyone to recommend this to anymore. But until that happens, do it. Do it now. Do it now. Do it now. Stop it. If you can use Squarespace to make an Arnold soundboard for like for the <laughs> modern age, I would really be happy about that. Yeah. Arnold.soundboard. I bet dot soundboard is available Eventually. these days. Yeah. Yeah. Soundboard.cool. Cool. Cool. <laughs> cool. Soundboard.cool soundboard. is just a Mr. Freeze soundboard. <laughs> ice cool freeze. Cool freezing ice. This episode of Idle Thumbs is also brought to you by Harry's. Harry's will send high quality shaving equipment and razors directly to your address, whatever sort of address it is. Um, I had my my uh, biweekly shave yesterday and it was really nice. Nice. Felt really good to bust out the Harry's. Just get my neck all smooth. <laughs> always always really a refer to removing your facial hair as busting out the hairies. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yes. Um, it's really nice. They send you the razor handle, the pack of razors, the shaving cream or gel. They've got a face wash now. They have a sort of nice like aftershave sort of uh, little gel, uh, which is nice. And Referred to as little gel. A little gel. It's like it comes in a little, you know, yeah. little squeeze bottle. And uh, it's nice. It all comes in a in a very compact uh, box, and there are known as the big box, <laughs> a little box known as the big box. And uh, yeah, it's really nice. It's very very affordable. They have a starter kit that gets you all of the basics for fifteen dollars. But if you go to Harry's dot com and use the promo code thumbs, you will get. $5 towards any purchase. So you can get that $15 starter kit for only $10, which is a ridiculously good deal. So yeah, I would recommend that harrys.com and the promo code thumbs for $5 off your first order. 
Thanks, Harry's. Don't mention it. Thanks, Harry. <laughs> Video games. Man, that hotline bling uh, Wii shop. Oh, uh, man. Fuck. It was it was one thirty, and I got into bed after watching that, and I was like, "What is this? What are you talking about?" And she was like, "Yeah, I'm up." And I was like, "Hold on, hold on, hold on." You were you were asleep for two hours, but now I'm just gonna put this phone up to your ear. And is it just the Drake video plus the We Shop music? Oh Oh, no, I'm loading it up right now. Don't worry, Nick. I'll play it for Chris. I've been thinking this has been like a thing in my head for like months. I was like, like I would go as a concept, as an idea, right? You, I'd be like in a cab and hear Hotline Bling, and I'm like, "Oh my god, that's the We Shop channel. That's the We Shop. It's just the We Shop." He's just rapping in the fucking Wii Shop channel music. <laughs> Clearly, somebody's got to do this mashup. And like, I never like it. Just I, I just yeah, always been in situations where I it, it was times just, when you had no agency, exactly, or like no headphones or just anything. So I finally remembered yesterday, and it does exist, and it made me so happy. <laughs> I just went to. That's really good. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> the best part is the end of this stanza. Of this. <laughs> oh my god, wow. Oh god, this part. Oh, sorry. No, this part's the best part! I'm never gonna get Oh no, oh god, that part is so oh, good. Look, look it up yourself, readers. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it just the thing that I was gonna jump to is it goes to like it goes to like deep cut We Shop channel. Yeah, later I know. On. Yeah, I'll never get to it. It's okay. <laughs> anyway, it's it's one of the great things that it's just. I'm I, very happy about yeah, it. Yeah, I literally went to sleep with the biggest smile on my face. Like I've never, I've never felt that content going to sleep <laughs> after having listened to this. I was just like, it everything is right with the world. <laughs> that this is, tr- this happened, and is it's it's the best version of it. That yeah, yeah, oh, it's God. really good. That <laughs> the part where it just go dot 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 and then like keeps going. Yeah, oh, it's so good. Oh man, because whatever he's doing at that point is just exactly like in sync with it. Oh god. Anyway, Nick, it just makes me happy to see you so happy. Oh, thanks, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> but don't worry, there's a dark soul underneath, <laughs> just true. waiting to escape yeah. and die. <sighs> All right. It, it also ad? continues the great tradition of Nintendo music and rap music over the top of each other. Which That's true. The, yeah. The Kirby Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the best. Yeah. Video games. I guess I could talk about Enter the Gungeon if we don't, oh, yeah. have, if we don't have an obvious. I saw this game on the Steam store. Yeah. Didn't know it existed prior to that. I think I heard about this game months and months and months ago and didn't understand that Gungeon was a play on gun. Mm. And I just heard the name and I'm like, that's an off-putting name. I don't know. That's, <laughs> it's still off-putting. It sounds grody. Uh, I think grody was like the, the, grody the term is a good that popped to mind. Classic, I, like, I had only heard term, about Enter the yeah. Gungeon because it's, a, it's on PS4 and... Uh, we made a, th- a PlayStation 4 theme for Firewatch that turns a lot of the scene really bright yellow, and it's apparently the same hex value as the oh, Enter no. the Gungeon icon, which <laughs> is just like a little happy cartoon oh, face. Oh, my God. So if you have the Firewatch theme and Enter the Gungeon, it just looks like a floating weird face uh, in the middle of your PlayStation UI because the icon blends perfectly into the theme. Yeah. And I saw a screenshot of that and was like, what the hell is this? Oh, it's a, it's a game that maybe I want, but mm-hmm. I, then I didn't play it yet. Mm-hmm. The, um, the screenshot to me looked like uh, 
you know what it's a it's a, a sort of bullet hell shooter right um it's like a it's like a uh you know the the modern what we mean like in these days when we say like a roguelike yeah you know you're exploring dungeons so it's the screenshot to me looked like the spelunky characters that hold shotguns you mean shopkeepers <laughs> shotgun yeah yeah um it's it's a you know it um <clears throat> it hits a lot of the same enjoyment notes that something like um rogue okay this is a weird collection of games but like rogue legacy or binding of isaac or um kind of spelunky but not not yeah i'm gonna leave spelunky out of it i guess um or god what are some other like um what was that game the night what was it shovel knight shovel knight yeah in the sense that it's like a it, it's a very straight ahead game right like what you see is what you get mm. as opposed to something like hyperlife hyperlight drifter which also has sort of a retro aesthetic but it you know requires a lot of like really intentional mm-hmm. parsing and and you know sort of ambiguity that you have to resolve just in terms of the game's iconography and communication uh this game is totally just like what it is on its face and is really sort of tongue-in-cheek about it. You know, it's a game where you explored top-down randomly generated dungeons, and it's permadeath, which I didn't know the first time I played it, by the way. Mm. Uh, and everything looks like bullets and guns, and the artists clearly had a really fun time, like, figuring out how shapes of, like, guns and revolvers and shell casings and stuff could be used in classic you know, video game elements to just sort of play up that theme in sort of a fun way. And, uh, and then the, the twist on the, what we think of as a modern roguelike is that, you know, Nick, as you inferred is this bullet hell element where increasingly the enemies emit just like crazy concentric circles of bullets and crazy, like, star shapes of bullets and rotating diamonds of bullets and you know rooms can get just totally full of how does navigation and shooting work like it's twin twin stick stick. so it's it's got like a robotron thing going on yeah yeah which is just really common right i mean that's effectively what hyperlight drifter has that's like sort of sort of well, I mean, sorry. When it's when you say it's twin stick, do you mean like one of the button, what the other one? Stick? One moves and one aims. Okay. Well, I didn't know if one shot. That was my question. Was going to be oh, does the other stick oh, actually oh. just emit no, bullets immediately? Because uh, no, that's no, like no, how no. Robotron works. Yeah. No. 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 Um, no, no. Or you know, you geometry pull a trigger wars or because geometry because, wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because you have to reload. You because you know reloading is important because so there is a fire I, button and stuff. Yeah. Okay. And actually, here's a tip: if you're playing this game with default bindings on PC using an Xbox 360 controller, which I suspect actually represents a lot of people who play this game, um, I the default bindings have shoot on the right bumper and I basically just swapped both the the right bumper with the right trigger and the left bumper with the left trigger and the resulting everything from swapping those two things just make the game feel much better to me. So if you're playing this game and you feel like the controls feel a little bit weird, that's my Try recommendation. Swap. Yeah. And if they don't, then great. You already said anyway. So this game is, it was kind of it was a good thing for me to play in between my Dark Souls sessions, which is what I did, because it's 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 hard, but it's the kind of difficulty that is sort of dumber difficulty, you know, and was like really suited to me because it's like the kind of thing that I can just do, which is like, okay, the entire room is just gonna be full of bullets and you just have to sort of constantly have that adrenaline going to evade them just everywhere and just it's mm. that kind of like high octane 
mm-hmm. adrenaline that I, I generally take to pretty easily. Yeah, you it's know, the as, thoughtful uh, version of that that's hard. Yeah, right? It's like the, Dark it's Souls is like, like, it's not just like mm-hmm. every second you're constantly evading something. It's like, okay, you have to be really careful about the way you evade this and how you evade it and yeah. like what that leads you in the position to do. This game is just like, brah, bullets everywhere and just don't get hit by them and that, you know. <laughs> And I, you know, I'm it's more I, like life, really. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it was a kind of, it, it feels challenging, but in a way that I, that I didn't have to like devote a lot of complicated thought to overcoming the challenge, you know, mm-hmm. and that was kind of what I needed in between my like first Dark Souls character and my second Dark Souls character when I had just completely hit a wall the first time. And, um, and it's, and I didn't realize it was a permadeath. I didn't, re- I didn't know anything about this game. Um, I just saw, I suddenly saw some mentions of it and I'm like, Oh, that seems cool. So I grabbed it and I made it past the first boss and like well into the sort of second dungeon before I died for the first time and then went back to the main menu and I was completely flabbergasted because I didn't know to yep. expect that. So I was like, wait, how do I like, mm. is there like a, do, do, is nope. there like an auto to a checkpoint? How do I, yeah, it was really, it was really. I'm fine with games in that structure, but not knowing that it was one was really weird. And you know, because you play them differently, right? Like, yeah. you take more risks when you don't when that's not the case. Uh, but it's it's really fun. It's just if you like games in that uh, mold, you know, the sort of like randomly generated dungeons, and you increasingly get more equipment, and you know, it's just sort of enemies thrown at you and this is a, a fun example of it. It's it's really clever. And it, it actually does something that uh, Hyperlight Drifter does, which I really like, which is to allow you to just teleport to certain uh, checkpoints you've unlocked whenever. Um, it's using it for a different purpose than Hyperlight Drifter does. Hyperlight Drifter does this to sort of connect large chunks of the map with one another. Whereas on any given dungeon level, like any div- given like floor of enter the gungeon, there will be like half a dozen of these teleporters. So it's really just to remove backtracking. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I've explored the entire like Southwest quadrant of this. I could walk back to the Northeast quadrant to go to the store or whatever, but like, I'm literally just going to be traversing dead space. So you just zap over there and it's great. Like it doesn't make the game easier. Really. It just kind of removes some of the bullshit, like, pointless walking in a way that feels very natural and smart. Um, and I like that both, I like that I like it in hyperlife drifter for, you know, slightly different purpose. And I like it in this game and it feels like a really good, um, little design element that I hope becomes a standard in games of this type. Um, so yeah, enter the gungeon. It's, it's really, it's just very fun, straightforward, like well-made game that feels good and looks good. Um, and, uh, yeah, Feels good, looks good. <laughs> yep. Enter the gungeon. Sounds weird. Feels good, looks good, sounds grody. <laughs> Devolver published title. <laughs> is, it, is it Devolver? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Nice. Uh, and it was made in Game Maker again, I think. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, is cra- just the cra- the craziest thing that games with such. People of- make some crunchy shit in Game Maker. Yeah, they really do. It's really impressive. Because usually the thing that I associate with uh, these sort of like. Um, entry-level game development environments is that they just don't ever have that like the that last percent of like crisp input output that you expect from an engine that was written for the 
like for the purpose of that particular game. And, uh, you know, obviously that's a completely outdated expectation because people, some of the, some of the games that exemplify that tight control the most out of the last several years in terms of 2d indie games have been game maker games. So, you know, that's obviously a completely wrong assumption to have at this point. I, know, well, it's, I think it's partly just because Game Maker is called Game Maker. Your association, like, oh, it's yeah. like click and play or something. But like, yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. Yep. It seems like it would be less um, competent than it. Yeah, less like in- if Unity had been called a Game Maker, it would probably have the same. <laughs> right. Like, mm-hmm. It would be saddled yeah. with the same thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think some people do still have that expectation of Unity, but I think it's it's born. It's just not born yeah, out. But of imagine reality. if Unity was called Game Maker. Yeah, I know. <laughs> For me, it's from the era of Unity, like web player, like when Unity, when you, my exposure to Unity games was just like Unity two, and it was like, oh, I can play a weird game on the web, and they were all well, it just like, always ran badly. Yeah, it just ran badly yeah. on like a garbage. Yeah, it was not not a good yeah. t- not a good time for Unity games. But. Well, you could probably if you downloaded that same game as a standalone executable, it probably already yeah. would have felt better. Yeah. I'm, I'm imagining. Maybe that's not the true. The thing that I think actually changed my opinion of that <clears throat> was the Blurst stuff because it still I was had, just going to mention the Blurst it stuff. It still had the problems of yeah. Unity Web Player, but you could see that actual game, yep. like a, a yeah. competent professional game team, even though they were making Velociraptor Safari and Minotaur China Shop and stuff, like yeah. it was like, oh, okay, you can yep. get more crisp with yeah. this. Man, early Idle Thumbs was a big Blurst. Oh booster. yeah, there was a we, yeah, oh, we, we were, were blur- blurst- 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 all over the place. Blurst Blurst Booster. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unity just put together um like a retrospective video of like their the history of Unity games oh, and cool. there was a ton of blur stuff at the beginning and I was yeah. pretty happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually kind of miss those games. I miss I miss like look, expecting a new weird blurst game. Right. Like there was a period of time there it was like, oh, I wonder what their weird fucking weird game is going to be. And, yep. Oh, they made a brontosaurus space thing. That's cool. Like <laughs> I don't know. Time yeah. Donkey. Yeah. Velociraptor Off-Road Safari. Yeah. Minotaur China Shop. Yeah, have you guys watched, I think run. it was a Mythbusters video of actually releasing a bull in a China shop. No. They, took, they just had a, wow. they, they had a bull pen and then they put up like the cheapest shelves they could and then filled them with China. Uh-huh. And the bull just would absolutely not touch anything. But they're like, we need more bulls. And they dumped like 10 bulls in here and they were running around going ape shit, but they made sure to never touch the shelves wow. ever. It's a crazy video because you're just watching these animals go fucking insane. Yeah. And then nothing moves. That's amazing. And they were like, oh, okay, I guess that's... That's so cool. I mean, yeah. that must be because they don't know what those things are. Yeah. And I, their instinct I, is to avoid... <laughs> yeah, but they're, yeah, they're like rounding hairpin turns and like just weaving all over this space and just not touching anything. And the, oh, that's awesome. The hosts are just like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God, that's so good. So only the Minotaur of Minotaur China Shop breaks this yeah. rule. Well, that's that kind of makes that even more thematically appropriate because so much of the... Uh, so much of the sensation of Minotaur China Shop was that you're like a creature that shouldn't exist and you're like forced into this weird, ill-fitting body and like unable to contain it. Yep, but um, trying as much as you possibly can to avoid breaking yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're a normal human being or if you're a bull, then you Man, can I'm, deal with it. But I, Minotaur, I, miss, nope. I miss Minotaur China Shop. Yeah, that game was so I think weird. we actually included that game in the first Godi.cx. I think that game was actually li- got a, <laughs> yeah, I think got a right. short write-up on the Idle Thumbs game of the year yeah, of like 2009 right. or whatever yeah, that was. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. Into the Gungeon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a thing that we, all three of us played 
uh, we last finally weekend. have con- consensus on this. Oh yeah. no! Oh, you're oh you're talking oh, sorry, about Arabian you, Nights. Were you going to talk? What you? Well, I was going to talk about a hypercube, but we'll we'll, oh, we'll shelf the hypercube. Okay, all right. So we yeah, all three of us have played two games recently, but we did play one game all like at the same time together. Um, also with our with our partners um, called Arabian Nights. I do you guys remember it has, if we ever it has talked a about Tales of the Arabian, Arabian Nights? I think Tales of the Arabian Nights. Yeah, it's Arabian a board Nights, game. Yeah. Did we ever talk about this on our thumbs? Like years I think and years you and ago? Sean might have talked about it when you first played it, but I'm not sure. It sounds plausible. But neither yeah. of you had ever played it before. No. no, that was so surprising to me. I don't know why it shouldn't have been because it's a weird game. But Arabian Nights is a game that was I think first. It's a board game first published I think 1984. Weirdly. Was yeah. co-written or co-designed by Ken Rolston, yeah. who is no, best known for being, I think, the lead designer of Morrowind and Oblivion. Yeah, which is the it was the craziest thing to see his name in the credits of this game. You like, said Greg Kostikian was also involved. Greg Kostikian worked on the game as well. It's crazy. And I was like, I've met both of these guys. Yeah. And they published this game the year I was born. Yeah. And you were born, Nick. Yeah, it's nuts. That was a strange... It's weird. Yep. Very weird. But it's a really cool game. And it's it's a fun game to play in a big group like we did, uh, especially if you play it at a bar with huge alcoholic punch balls, which we also did, mm-hmm. because it is essentially a skill-free game. I suppose. It's a skill-free game. <laughs> I feel like it was pitched to me that way, and there's, yet, there's, there's no, and yet there's I no ended s- up in prison for like 10 years. That's, uh, eh. that's not a dis- That does not disprove anything. Well... That only proves that the game is not immune to fate and destiny. <laughs> like that doesn't prove that the game. Like that's just. I don't think Nick Brecken's experience, of course, will be you're trapped in prison for saying. ten years. I think someone's going to end up trapped in prison in this game, and at one point, it's going to be Nick Brecken. Yeah, <laughs> I was also in prison um, for not quite as long as you. I think this now. This game presents <laughs> as some sort of overwrought, systemically complicated game where everyone is trying to navigate. A, a gigantic map to achieve goals, but it's mostly a crazy, complicated machine to try and roll a unique choose-your-own-adventure story. That yeah, Jake, you, you compared it to 80 Days, which I thought was interesting. It, it, feels, does, it, it feels very much like 80 Days. Like... It feels very much like The Yog, if people have played that. Those games oh, yeah. both feel mm-hmm. very much inspired by this game, I think. Yeah, yeah um, I would be curious to know if they are. The game, again, is called Tales of the Arabian Nights. So yeah, it's a in, board game. in Arabian Nights, everyone who's playing picks a character and it doesn't matter which character you pick they don't have stats um and then you draw to start off the game you draw a quest card which tells you your starting point and your objective and your starting point could just be start on an island or another player will just put you in a city somewhere on the map and now you have to get somewhere else on the map and once you've done that your quest is complete but all that ends up actually happening each move you'll you'll move x number of spaces however many you're allowed to move land somewhere and then you draw an encounter card, which says basically roll a dice, do some things on this card, and then you cross-reference that through a really overwrought means to eventually just read a paragraph out of a book that tells you what happened in this space. Um, and sort of over the course of all of these encounters, a story is built up out of parts that you sort of weave together in your brain. Um, and I don't know. I mean, that seems like that's basically the whole point of this, just to sort of hear the weird story that happened to you over time. Yeah. Um, and... Sometimes you have to deal with the repercussions. Like, like if you get put in prison, your encounters are always then dealing with guards who you have to bribe or fail to bribe or mm-hmm. ignore. Yeah. But- so an example, an example of of something that might happen to you in a turn of of Tales of the Arabian Nights is you you move from one city like several spaces towards your goal because you're trying to let's say like 
get back to your spouse or you're trying to like capture an escaped criminal or you've been like falsely accused of a crime and you're trying to get back somewhere to prove your innocence. So you're on your way to doing that. And then you land somewhere, just wherever you are, you know, at the end of your turn and something happens, like you encounter an angry wizard, for instance, and then you have, depending on what kind of thing you've encountered, you have generally about 10 different like verbs. verbs that you can do in response. You could, for instance, like pray to the wizard. You could offer to aid the wizard. You could try and hire the wizard. You could attack the wizard. You could run. You could, um, you know, there, there are. And the num- verbs are different based on. Yeah. They differ depending the, on the kind of encounter. The, the yeah. Ki- yeah. There's like a matrix. There's like right. six different verb sets or something like that or 10. There's a lot. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then based on, you know, as Jake was saying, based on that, you like end up looking up a paragraph in this tome that has thousands of possible outcomes. And then each of those is often further affected by what skills you happen to have. So let's say you choose to pray and you have the skill piety. Um, Frequently the outcome will differ whether if you are pious or not pious. And if you are generally speaking, that will be a better outcome because Allah will like heed your prayers or whatever. And you know, and there's, or the wizard just happens to be a religious man in right, a way that yeah. you had no way of knowing, yeah. but just by chance right. your encounter turns yeah. on a dime. It's possible to explain this game and have the person listening to your explanation assume that like, ah, okay, so you you determine based on your skills and the kind of thing, like what you should do. No, 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 you don't. Like you think all, you All that do. it means, like you sometimes can think like, okay, I am pious and I have a couple other vaguely religious uh, traits. Maybe if I choose to pray, something more interesting will happen. That's the only, like, guess you can make where you're like, you know, if you're a character who is, like, lucky and beguiling and, you know, has the ability to hide or something, you could probably trick or rob people and something more interesting might happen. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's something better will happen. It just means that, like, maybe you'll be thrown in jail in a way that you wouldn't have before, or maybe you'll be given a bunch of money, or maybe that character will decide to fucking kidnap you yeah. in a way that wouldn't have happened. But it's just like, yeah. you're just, you can influence the the likelihood of opening a different fork than the default one, but it's mm-hmm. not, it's not advantageous. It's just, it can be sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. I would is. say they, those are more often than not more advantageous than they otherwise would be. But yeah, but yeah, the point of the game really is just like to have fun with a bunch of your friends and like sort of, implicitly one up each other with the outrageous stories that are happening. And the best environment to play this game in is one in which the people playing are like bought into the idea that just like crazy shit is happening and you're going to like play up how outrageous it is all the time. Right. Like mm-hmm. this would not be a good game to play with people who are min maxer board game people. Yeah. The who, point like, is to relish the story. Yeah. And, and the weird turns, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's really fun. The point is to be happy that you're in jail the whole time, Nick, and not be mad about it. <laughs> Nick's, I was not Nick's happy. Face is not I know. Getting in, getting in jail actually does really kind of suck. Yeah. 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 You, yeah. Although you do still have an encounter every turn. But, it's just always with a jailer. Yeah, that's true. Also, eh, I think over a number of, of, uh, of plays, I think you would kind of start to remember certain things that are somewhat advantageous. Yeah, it's a fixed, yeah. It's a fixed because content Because I know game, now so in jail, if I wait twice, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> that's So I think there are certain... But yeah, generally speaking, it's more just a story generator, which is cool. I like... Yeah, I don't know. It was really... It was like surprisingly enjoyable to play a, 
game like that that was literally hadn't really no i mean my quest as like i don't know i forget my guy but um oh sinbad i was sinbad um was to become the champion or something and the goal was to literally like run into another character and beat and the, be beat them up them. and just be cooler <laughs> yeah. than them yeah but there's again there's no real way to do that effect like there's no there's no way to like I mean, actually you just move towards other characters as well you, you the, yeah the, the the most strategy you can employ is to avoid other characters for a while get cool and then go back and find a character and beat yeah. them up but like again i ended up in prison for a number of years so right. i was the least cool guy uh if there's, and any, that's just, if there's yeah. any strategy at this game and i don't know if this would like necessarily consistently take you very far probably social engineering would be the most mm. effective strategy of this game because very, very frequently you end up in situations where you lose control of your character or like the winds of fate have scattered you and another you need to rely on another player to like move your piece or put you somewhere. Well, and if you could like... Yeah, like Jake was ensorcelled for a long time, yeah. which meant that uh, other people, other people around, were right? moving you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, which I guess if in a more competitive environment, maybe people would actually like... <laughs> Yeah, you know, deliberately moved. Well, like Jake you could have tried the to middle of nowhere. I but. think I got to pick who moved me though, which which helped because that's I, true. Like if I knew you were trying to fight me, yeah. I could have just not had you move me. Right. The th- the thing about Arabian Nights that I think is is fun, or like sort of it's the the feeling of it is you're living in a world of completely insane, unpredictable fates that are going to just bat you around, and you're going to be rewarded or you're going to be punished or whatever, and you kind of. It's a lesson in rolling with it and just sort of like yeah, life yeah. is going to take you all sorts of fucking crazy places, but you'll probably still eventually get to the thing that you th- wanted to get to. Or you won't always, you won't always get there, but I don't know. It's it's just, it's a game that is entirely about just rolling with what the world yeah. deals you over your life. You know what I want? In a way that is cool. While yeah. we were, well, yeah, that's true. While we were playing the game, um, I think, Jake, you said, like, man, it'd be really good if there was an iPhone app that just allowed you Mm -hmm. to just rapidly look up the paragraph that is associated with that encounter. The other thing I want is for that to exist, but then for it to also track who, like, who's looking that up, like, and associate it with the character that they are so that at the end of the game, you get just a full printout of all of Of their encounters. So you get a, yeah, because there's no reason why you couldn't just also track that. And yeah, I don't know. But yeah, you sort of naturally. Yeah. The sort of the bureaucracy of Arabian Nights is the, is the weakest link of the game. I think like the, like you get to an encounter, you have to roll a dice, add that to some numbers, add it to some other numbers on the card, look a thing up twice, and then you get a paragraph. And it feels like all of that stuff could be automated, but with a, with a, with a tech, add-on with, an, with a, a phone app uh, but still keep the board and still keep the big tome because why not but yeah, yeah. I, anyway it's it's a it's a pretty good game it's yeah, pretty it's fun uh, we also yeah. played Hypercube <laughs> on the opposite end uh, of Arabian Nights we all yeah. played Hypercube that's true super Hypercube super yeah. Hypercube for VR for PlayStation VR yeah Jake you talked about this like, I've last talked about week? Hypercube a couple times I yeah. think yeah. but now yeah. now we've played it yeah, yeah. It's really, really good. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I knew I, I was pretty certain I would enjoy it, but I hadn't actually played yeah. it. And the thing that is so great about this game. So I, I, I think I've, I've sort of alluded to this on the podcast before in discussing VR, and I don't expect everyone to feel this way because obviously a lot of people don't feel this way, but the in VR representing like a full traditional video game world is cool and it definitely feels cool for a, for a moment to me but it it 
it doesn't feel like it doesn't it's not lasting in how cool it feels at least it hasn't been so far in my experience that could change but it's but the reason for that i think at least in my case is that eventually i just sort of my my belief gets my my disbelief gets suspended and i'm in the video game world the same way that i am when i play a game on a traditional like monitor or tv uh and that eventually that just kind of fades into like my overall sort of just i'm in the, this game now uh, whereas for whatever reason with Super Hypercube, because the w- thing that is surrounding me is so stylized and crazy and abstract and like cyber themed, uh, my I, suspension of disbelief is just not really part of the equation. Like yeah. I'm not ever going to believe I am in an actual world surrounded by neon like lights and lines and stuff because that is that just isn't it's not presented as a coherent world and it's not trying to be. And so it's always the weird spectacle. Like there's always just like weird shit flying around my head and it always feels cool and noteworthy. Um, and it's just, I just like it a lot. It's also, just really the, the good. thing that is relevant to how the game works is just the 3d position of your head. I feel like there's not a nut. There's no other weird inputs that your brain has to try and abstract and then just turn into, there's nothing to normalize, I guess. Like even, like the, a lot of, of VR games that I've played that use the Vive controllers or Move controllers that then turn into your hands, I feel the same sort of suspension of disbelief happens. But in, in, a, in a way, that's cool. Like there's there's like an amazing amount of fidelity that you get from those VR hand controllers. But at the same time, the whole point of them is to become invisible to your brain. And the nothing in Hypercube, including the like insane the way that you're the way that you have to sort of look around the shape to sort of make sense of it it's never designed to become invisible it's designed to always always keep you paying attention to exactly what's happening yeah it's a really weird experience like so i hadn't played a like i literally not used the vr headset since like the early early versions of um the oculus like like the Mm -hmm. like the like pre, DK1? pre-DK1, and then I use the DK1 for like a half an hour. and like the experience, So you haven't really used anything that has the full position tracking of your head, really, then, like where you can move around a lot. Right. Okay. Um, but I mean, like the experience of the, you know, trying like an early, like the DK1, for instance, was like, oh, wow, okay, like this is, you know, this is a weird thing. Um, and it was, it's, it's impressive in a different way than this is. Like, I don't know. It's a, it was a really weird experience strapping this on and playing hypercube, having not really like having watched a lot of like VR coverage and then playing this because I just immediately just was playing a game for playing a game's sake, which, you know, and just like enjoying it as like an actual, um, uh, like activity versus like the spectacle and like the immersion factor that, you know, and I just, I liked that because I didn't I didn't spend two seconds even thinking about the actual like VRness of it, um, hmm. which I feel like is the thing that people are obsessed with right now, which I'm yeah also not super interested in just VR for VR's sake, you know. Um, so it was really nice to play something that just immediately that was not the thing I was thinking about. It was literally just the mechanics of it and like how cool it looked. I also I also have to admit I like this game. Part of the reason this week this game I think hit so hard for me is because. It's it's like the simplest structure of a game that exists, which is that you start the game and this one repeating mechanic goes and then you do it as much as you can and then that's it. And that's mm-hmm. the entire game. I remember starting Dark Souls. This is like the stupidest comparison and I, I don't mean to suggest that like anything qualitatively good or bad about either of these games because of this comparison. It's just an illustration of my brain space. Starting up Dark Souls 3 and it starts with this like huge introduction and there's like 
your classic fantasy British lady being like, and so it came to pass, and you know, and and all, the lords of Cinder and all this, and I'm like, oh my god, this is gonna like, I am there is gonna be so much of me that is demanded to to like, if I ever complete this thing, so much of me is gonna have to go into it in a way that's like a cool thing. Um, but it's also like when you're at the foot of that mountain and you're looking up at the mountain and you're like, oh my God, like, I know this game's going to be really hard. I know there's like, I'm all, there's already like five minutes of stuff that they think is important that I need to sit here and watch to like, understand the world I'm going to be in. Um, like I, it just paints this expectation of like, fucking get ready because this is the biggest inter like software thing that's going to be in your life for months and everything about it is huge in scale. All the bosses are these like lumbering Titans and everything is just, everything is huge. Everything about it is like huge. And then you get the character creation and it's like, there's like 500 options, like just to make your guy, like everything about it is like maximalist and macro and huge. And it just, again, it's not a bad thing, but just it, it was already overwhelming before I even like press a button. And then, uh, or before I swung a sword anyway. And then, you know, like the next morning I came in and came into the office and put on the hypercube thing. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's just a little square and it goes into a hole and I just <laughs> do it again. And it looks really, and it's like colorful. Yeah. Um, and again, that's not a negative on dark souls. It's just, I remember feeling that like whiplash. Yeah. That really huge strongly. contrast. Yeah. And it, and it, it was a good, like digestif mm. for the dark souls experience. Yeah. yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, it does feel like uh this device is Tetris, which is cool. Yeah. Like yeah. I mean it is it is very yeah. close to Tetris. Yeah. I also really like it, it it pairs really well with the PlayStation VR headset to me because I really like that you just put it on your head and it generally works. I don't yeah. know if you guys have played with a Vive uh, or a uh I have yeah. I mean I haven't actually used a, an Oculus in a while, but all of my experiences with a Vive there's another guy in the room, uh, right? Who's yeah. handing, me, with you, handing guy. me things and strapping headphones <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. onto me after oh, the yeah, fact yeah, yeah. and all sorts of stuff. And um, at every event that I've gone to that has a PlayStation VR, I can always just put it on and play a game. And it's it's not as insane. Actually, this maybe I should talk about the Foo Show. Well, you should talk about the Foo oh, Show. Yeah. Also, I have just a general question about the Vive because I've never seen one in person. Mm-hmm. How? Like, pr- like practically speaking, if you have a house that you want to set a vibe up in, does I mean, like, are the wires long? How does it work? Because I was actually just thinking about it. Like, if I wanted to buy one of these things, and I was sold on it, I've not gone into a room obviously and the room watched. the room space is a question, right? But then also, like, does your computer have to be like right in that space? Yeah, like okay. I think you're, I think so. Okay, I mean the vibe. Yeah, that's crazy. The whole point of I mean the vibe is like. You're setting up an experience. Yeah, you basically right? are I mean, creating an installation in your the home. The PlayStation VR yeah. feels like they're very much aiming for like if you bought a Rock Band drum kit, the PlayStation VR mm-hmm. is going to be less of an implicate right. like, of, of a fucking thing in your house yeah. than yeah. than like a Rock Band guitar is. Um, as far as the impact it has it's on your the entertainment, same as a Rock Band guitar, less than a Rock Band drum kit. It is. It can hide in a shelf more easily than a guitar. Can. You don't need it. A- is, it is worth saying about the PSVR. This doesn't really matter very much, but it's a really cool looking. 
It's the only yeah. of the VR things I've seen so far that actually looks it's cool. It's really they nice made it and it's very, very clean white plastic. And then when it turns on, because of the fact that the PlayStation camera tracks it the same way as it tracks move controllers, the fucking thing is covered in blue lights. Yeah. <laughs> so you just look like you're a Tron Lord yeah, when you have it on, totally which is hilarious. Yep. Um, and it's comfortable. The, the the final shipping Vive, I think, doesn't look too crazy. But all of those guys decided to make their headsets black. And the PlayStation mm. VR's choice to be white, I think, is really actually smart. Because it agree. just looks... Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a piece of consumer electronics and not like a piece of military hardware. It looks like a bike helmet or something, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, But I actually don't know. Looks like a bike helmet from Akira. Sure. The uh, the, yeah. the the thing about the Vive, the Vive has two little tracking dots that you have to place in your in your uh, room. Yeah. I don't know what is required for them. I think they need some amount of power, but they don't need data because they are basically like a Wii mm. sensor bar. Okay. They're just. I think they're like they're like lasers or IR or something, and they do bi-directional sweeps up, down, left, right inside of them. And they, by way of doing that, the two of them create a tracking grid that knows where you are. Like all of the cameras and equipment that the Vive uses to know where you are in the room is in the headset. Mm. I think that's correct, and the, and it just pinpoints the dots. Okay. Um, whereas I think the way that the Oculus works is similar to how the PlayStation VR works, where there's actually camera rigs everywhere that are tracking mm. you. Um, I think Valve and HTC's hope with the Vive is that like you could basically just pin those little things up where if you have a stereo system in your room, you could put them on, on the speakers of your like entertainment center surround system. This is assuming you have a surround system or whatever, but it's <laughs> it's that style of feeling that they okay. want to go for is you pin those up. But because there's so much crazy shit going on right inside of the headset, you have to plug it into a sick-ass computer. Yeah. So I think you have to have a desktop computer in the room with your VR. Like you're not going to plug your Vive into your Steam Link and right. expect that to work. Yeah. Because uh, the amount of throughput from the headset to the computer is high. Um, that said, I had the craziest Vive experience and like the craziest VR experience that I think I've ever had uh, by going on this thing called the Foo Show. Um, Will Smith. The Foo who, Fighters talk show. Yeah. The Foo Fighters talk show. It was just... Uh, yeah, you know Will Smith. Uh, Will Smith from tested formerly of of tested yeah. um, the the site that used to partner with Giant Bomb at Whiskey Media back when they started. He's and now partners with the MythBusters. Met with the MythBusters guys with uh, Adam and Jamie of MythBusters. But yeah, he will will left tested because he wanted to do a weird VR startup thing, which turned out to be a like talk show slash behind the scenes experience of video games and digital media that is not games, I guess, but the, the pilot episode me and uh, me and Sean did with him. And it was, it was weird because the, the way that it, if you're inside it as a viewer, it just looks like a weird Max Headroom talk show where there's low poly <laughs> versions of me, Sean and Will all sitting like Sean and I are basically on the couch and Will is, uh, uh, is the host of what looks like a Tonight Show set or something mm-hmm. talking about Firewatch. And then uh, the second half of the show is inside the Lookout Tower and we're wandering around and playing with the props lookout and tower stuff. From the Lookout Tower from Firewatch, the sort of home base environment in Firewatch. We gave him the environment art for that and he put it into his unity app and we walked around inside it and picked up props and played with them and stuff. The thing that was interesting about it is he captured the performance capture was done just with consumer vive hardware where me, Sean and Will were all wearing VR headsets and we all had the vive hand controllers, which are sort of motion tracking controllers um, in our hands. And then uh, we were all in the same room there were three huge-ass PCs on a LAN that were all reporting the data to a server. But what that meant was that 
we were all position tracking. We were all our positions were all tracked using the same two Vive position trackers because they're just uh, lights. Yeah. There's no networking data. All of our headsets can track them and orient ourselves to the same space. So it was a weird experience to be inside VR and look to my right and see a low poly Sean Vanneman whose eyes looked at me and his hands <laughs> ma- ma- moved. God. And because he was yeah. in the same room as me, like I could hear like the cloth of his shirt right. move yeah. Yeah. as I saw his hand lift his uh, Vive controller and they have good IK um, going so that like his arm rig looked normal and they have like they had look at cones set up so that if your head moves and another human actor inside of VR is inside of that person's cone of vision, they'll rotate the eyes to look at oh, my Vive camera. Crazy. <laughs> so I would hear Sean moving around and talking. Oh, and whenever voice is detected on that person's microphone, they just go pop, 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 pop. The mouth opens and closes. <laughs> yeah. So it was actually like 90s VR cyberspace yeah. for real. Like mm-hmm. I, As a viewer, Man. I don't know what the experience was like, but being in a space where like I hear Sean talking and look over, see a actual low poly cyber Sean look at me and just go like, oh yeah, what, do you, what did you think about that thing? And then I am like, oh God, I have to talk. And I knew I couldn't see myself, but I was like, I was like, what the hell do I look like? Right. It was a weird, just, weird. just to clarify in case anyone is like, has like, an is going too far in their imagination of what this might be. The character model still had to be individually created yes, yes, yes. by a character model. Those weren't like created by the Vive cameras. No, 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 no. Yeah. Sorry. This, these low poly versions of us were built by Will and the Fusho team and rigged up to use their tech and stuff. So they had pre- pre-prepared uh, all this stuff to be ready for us. But the experience of being inside of that, like, and then the more extreme one was when we were in the lookout tower, we all stood up out of our chairs and walked around and they built, like, the Vive has no motion tracking data. It has no uh, notion of that. But they looked at, as our heads were moving, they were basically dragging our avatars around the space and they had smart... Mm. Um, dynamic leg movement and stuff. It was a strange experience. It was a weird. it was a thing that I have that I didn't like. <laughs> the the thing that was weird about it. Um, to your point earlier, Chris, about representation of real spaces in VR and suspension of disbelief taking over and stuff, is that it did. Yeah. But like it did in the way that I've never experienced in VR, and that I think Valve and like VR people are all about wanting to happen. And I think it happened because I was in the same room as people. So like mm. I got. Mm-hmm. Like especially on the audio front, right? I got reality for free fidelity. on yeah, sound. Yeah, where it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. I he, I see Sean's crazy low poly Max Headroom guy walking around and like picking up a board game model from Firewatch and waggling it around. And I obviously don't hear the contents of a board game shaking around, but I hear Sean's feet and I heard his is like just body yeah. fully. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then looking over and seeing basically a full approximation of a person who I can look to, right. look to and talk to and then say, hey, look, look at this guitar. And he sees it. Oh, it was a weird. It was very weird. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it in a way other than other than weird. I, but <laughs> it felt almost like a theme park attraction or something, though, because right. I don't know. I don't know. It was just unlike a thing that I've experienced before. <laughs> it's just but the overhead to create that was incredibly high. So maybe there will be maybe this sort of tech of experiencing a space with a person you could experience it live or you could do things over the network or something. But I think that's the goal eventually, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, but just separate even from their intentions of creating a talk show and doing motion capture recording using consumer hardware and all those other things, that sort of makeover of reality, Mm -hmm. but everyone was in the same space together and I could see them and they all were just normal humans. It was like 
when we, when we were talking about the IKEA VR kitchen thing right. last week, mm, and about yeah. how you can have your friends over and be like, "Look at my look at my kitchen," this is now the ultimate version of that, right. where <laughs> all of your friends also exist in that space, right? Uh, Virtually, as yeah. Well, so yeah. you could have a real clean apartment if you just gave everyone if the, if <laughs> if mm-hmm. you just have the entire tech investment. Uh, and ideas behind the Foo Show, just in your shitty apartment for some reason. Mm-hmm. I guess you should probably you should you should have invested that money in just cleaning your apartment at that point. But uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. it's not as exciting. It's not as exciting. Your apartment can't then have the walls break away and be inside Super Hypercube, right? Well, you want to do some reader mail and then wrap it up? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Douglas Bowman writes: Hi, thumbs. Longtime listener, first time writer. Having inexplicably stuck with EVE Online since 2009, I find I'm in a good position to offer some notes on your conversation about EVE Online. While it's true that EVE lets you be evil and conniving, as Jake puts it, that is the yin to yang of creation and community that the game also promotes and develops. Goonswarm, GSF, is the head and arbitrator of the CFC slash Imperium. Despite the other members of the coalition, the Imperium, being independent, they are still collectively referred to as the Goons by most. The Matani is the head of GSF, Goonswarm Federation, the Alliance and is indeed still very much a central political and media figure. The role Nick refers to him having with CCP is official community point of contact. It's close. The Mitanni was elected to the Council of Stellar Management, the CSM, a group of 14 players elected by the player base to represent them to CCP. The CSM can help advise CCP on the potential player reaction to aspects of game development, as well as the act of a general sounding board, as well as act as a general sounding board to the game devs who are willing to go to them. The Matani was chairman of the CSM twice, but was removed after a presentation at Eve FanFest where he read aloud a mail from a player who was asked to stop being harassed by the GSF members, and the Matani told the player to go kill himself in real life. Woof. Yeah, that's I made reference to that a little yeah. bit, but yeah, I couldn't remember the exact... Uproar ensued, as FanFest is a very big deal in Eve. It is essentially PAX Eve, I- Iceland. Um... The Fountain War is the book you guys referenced in regard to a book Kickstarter. The book was supposed to be about the conflict between Test Alliance and the CFC. Although the CFC did win the war, Test was not nearly disintegrated, but suffered what is known as a mighty slope for the slope throne. It lost a lot of members, and the population graph dropped off sharply. However, Test Alliance has built itself back up and is now one of the stronger groups attacking the Imperium. On the subject of ISK to dollars, CCP provides both time cards and 30-day pilot's license extensions, PLEX, in exchange for real-life currencies, as well as a secondary currency for cosmetics called Aurum, which can be used to buy game time. While the price of in-game items can be deduced by converting ISK into the equivalent amount of PLESC, it is against the EULA and terms of service to sell in-game items for out-of-game currencies. This includes PLESC, ships, modules, characters, etc. So technically, you can't sell off your ISK for time cards and turn them into dollars without breaching the EULA or terms of service and risk being permanently banned from EVE. The do it, you do have to get caught first, so good luck to those willing to risk it. You can, however, pay for your your own account with ISK you have earned by purchasing Plex off the in-game market. I myself did this to keep five accounts active for a year at one point, while my real-life income did not permit me to pay a subscription fee. I Want ISK is a space casino website and indeed the backer of part of the current war. Essentially, a player from Space Monkeys Alliance, SMA, got a space job at the casino... <laughs> Space job, (laughs) with duties to distribute winnings to the clientele since wallet transfers cannot be automated in EVE. The SMA member decided to embezzle a lot of ISK and went public about it, accusing the group running I Want ISK of engaging in real money trading, RMT. RMT is what they used to describe breach of the EULA or terms of service by selling in-game assets for real-life money, as described earlier. 
The gains and damages caused by those funded by IWI against SMA is one of several events that showed the weakness of the Imperium to those wishing to attack them. This is the first time in years any group of players has attacked the Imperium slash CFC. The coalition that formed out of all the players attacking the Imperium calls itself the Money Badger Coalition. This is due to the money coming from Iwan Isk and other sources, and the fact that the majority of the alliances in the Money Badger Coalition were once part of the Honey Badger Coalition, the HBC, which consisted of Test Alliance, Please Ignore, Test, Pandemic Legion, PL, and Northern Coalition, NC. Years ago, the HBC was staged to attack and collapse the CFC, but aborted the mission and fell apart themselves. It was this act that painted the target on test, which later resulted in the Fountain War. Sorry for the long email. Also, sorry for the history of Eve being that of the snake eating its own tail. Min. In-game Dihan Minrock, one of several hosts of the Podside podcast, an EVE Online-centered podcast. Man. All right. This stuff is always legitimately more interesting when it is actually explained by someone who has firsthand mm-hmm. experience. Yep. Like I read three different like news reports about this on Kotaku and Polygon and stuff. And they were all sort of, I could tell they were theoretically interesting, mm-hmm. but I didn't actually come away with any sense yeah. of the dynamics. And this is, this always makes it more interesting. Yep. So thank you, Douglas Bowman for that, that email. Um, so I just wanted to briefly mention uh, the continuing saga of me playing that stupid basketball game. <laughs> Oh, good. Good. NBA 2K16. I don't know why two quick observations. One, I'm beginning to as much as I sort of intellectually understand it, I'm now fully understanding why there are so many discussions about the pricing of certain video games. Simply because I realize that if you're the kind of person that just plays this game, Holy shit, your expectations are completely out of whack with the rest of the industry because, oh my god, there are at least 10 different full, fully priced games hidden in this one game. Oh, really? So I don't know how, as a consumer, you could possibly, like, if this is the thing that you play and then you look at another like what game. Sort of, like, what, what's new? What's next well, for Nick Brecken? I mean, so, like, I I started playing the, like, NBA, like, 2k like simulate like in the way that like a foot there's like the football simulator right. game yeah, there's yeah, just yeah. The that game in this one. game yeah, okay, as well yeah. right which does like like it takes your sort of like player avatar and then puts him in a suit instead of a jersey right. and now you're just like the gm of yeah. uh-huh. of a particular team <laughs> yeah. and like everything is customizable it's crazy you can change you can move your team like you can move the warriors to like alaska and just do like <laughs> everything is like you can change the sound effects associated with every single play in the game that the arena is playing you know when they make like stupid like mario coin sounds when people make free yeah. throws in basketball you can just change all of that it's insane but what's hilarious about it is that, like, they have, like, a full, like, social media, like, quote-unquote social media feed for, for like, you know, tr- like, every game that's played and everything that happens in the league. There's just, like, a weird, like, little, like, feed that's, like, just getting propagated. Um, and then also, like, <laughs> so there are all these, like, points of feedback for, like, what you're doing as a GM. Uh, and so I got to this point where I just did simulated a bunch of games and I thought I was doing well. And then I just started losing, like, 20 games in a row. And then they'll they'll like trigger like a press conference where the press start to like berate you. And they were just like the the one that that hit me the other day was like um, here I'll just read it. Uh, the online petition at www.firenickbrecken.com 
has more than 2,000 signatures now. Oh, register Any, this, please. Anything Square to say to your fans that have signed it? Thumbs. And then I responded, I don't care what they do or think. <laughs> and then I was, They will be ashamed of their words and deeds. <laughs> and then my, my, my owner, like the owner of the team who's like sitting to the left of me, just like gave this look like, oh, God, like, what am I going to do with this what? fucking guy? Crazy. Yeah. So, it's nuts. By the way, a wrinkle on the thing about um, someone who plays that game regularly and mm. has inflated expectations about what a sort of $60 game purchase should include. Yeah. The the like counterbalance to that is that they have bought this game every year for the like if there's five True. sixty dollar games in that game they've bought this game five times so I mean, yeah you know that's true that's true there's I, I'm not saying that that's going to be consciously weighted in anyone's expectations but like that is why these games can have that much stuff in them oh it's yeah because they're redeveloping the same thing each year yeah that's which you know I mean it makes sense sports happen every year so that said i do i will just say i think this game is for as many copies as it sells every year like it's one of the best selling games yeah, yeah, period yeah. now uh i think it's weirdly flying under the radar in terms of how finely crafted it is oh, like, i totally believe that I, it's sports it's, games always get short shrift in the in yeah the press yeah i i wish that the team in at what 2k Novato or whatever yeah, got concepts. more yeah visual yeah. concepts i wish they got more recognition for just how like good of a job they're doing at just making the thing that people like people buy this game and they go oh it's the nba game it's just it's always it's a good game strong, whatever. i mean well but, now it's the only oh, one right but they're now used- it's the only one but but well no that's not true the, the other the ea thing is a thing now oh, like, okay, it's back okay, okay. like okay. live or whatever it's okay. called but but just just in terms of entertaining somebody who's not fully bought into like the nba in the general sports, you know, it has yeah, made me appreciate cycle, basketball yeah. as a sport in a way that i would never have appreciated just watching it and that's uh, really cool it's just as a game well, a good time for it as a bay area resident yeah yeah but just yeah and just as a game i think it's just really well made in, yeah. a, in a yeah in a way that's i mean you me. got into nhl a, in a, i did a, a bit, few years ago and a bit yeah but not quite in the same way yeah okay. it's, it's just ultimately not as finely crafted i think okay but, yeah. well that's cool anyway um all right. Well, let's see. So Alex Melamed writes in um, <laughs> with a with an, uh, some robot news. The subject heading of this email is mass robot firings in China because of incompetence. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so this is an article on Atlas Obscura, um, which whose headline is you know as I just said subhead the robots weren't able to carry soup. One of their former colleagues said. <laughs> After piloting AI server programs, three Guangzhou restaurants have engaged in mass robot firings, Shanghaiist reports. Two of the formerly robot-employing restaurants have closed down entirely, and the remaining one has fired all but one of their non-human staff members. What does it mean for them to be fired? <laughs> Destroyed? Yeah, you don't want to know. Yeah. Literally fired with fire in a, in a furnace? <laughs> yep. Have been f- <laughs> yes. Or in, just in the flames of the restaurant's like stove. Yeah, right. In they the, just throw in it in an oven. oven. Yeah. The boss has decided never to use them again, a human waiter said of his former colleagues. Said boss and his compatriots originally hired the droids to save money. After an upfront investment, robot workers are much less expensive than humans because you don't have to pay them. The customers also anticipated the weird factor, which drew many customers. But even the hippest, cheapest worker isn't worth it if it can't do the job. Quote, the robots weren't able to carry soup or other food steadily, one of their ex-coworkers remarked. Another added, quote, they can't take orders or pour hot water for customers. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. Well, 
Well, so we're safe until they can what? do those things. Humans, humans got one point going on when it comes to soup and hot water. Yeah. yeah. Can't trust robots with that stuff. Camera yeah. br- briefly fades out, and you think that it's the end of the story, and then it slowly God. fades up as it rolls forward into a robot factory, and a hand sets down soup perfectly. <laughs> well, what I'm imagining is like the, the 1980s like sci-fi, ver- like sci-fi movie version of this, where like there are three robots in like an alleyway talking about, like, what happened to Frank? Oh, he couldn't carry the soup. <laughs> <laughs> They're now just sort of like it's hobo just, robots. It's just the term yeah. that people, the, the, the robots That's like use Futurama like, robots what? also. <laughs> yeah, that is totally yeah. a Futurama thing. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Definitely. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well. Yeah. You guys want to call it? Yep. Should we it. Should we plan on streaming Dark Souls this weekend, Nick? Sure. All right. Do it. So we haven't streamed on the Idle Thumbs Twitch channel in a long time, but it's yeah. twitch.tv slash Idle Thumbs. So if you subscribe to that channel, it'll ping you when when we go live. I don't know what our schedules are this weekend, but we that would be a fun thing to try. Yeah. It's been a while. Um, so yeah, hopefully hopefully that goes up this weekend at twitch.tv slash Idle Thumbs. We also have a number of other podcasts on our network, including Idle Weekend featuring uh, Rob Zachney and Daniel Riendo. We have the Idle Book Club, whose new episode just went up yesterday about Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng. And the next book we're reading, uh, which I'm pretty excited about, is The Man in the High Castle by Philip K. Dick. Um, I've never read a full-length novel by Philip K. Dick before. Oh, really? So yeah, so I, so that that'll that'll be fun. Um, you can find that at idlebookclub.com. Uh, the past episodes and then any future ones when they go up. Um, and we're still running Playscape Los Angeles by Teddy Deef, one of the developers of Hyperlight Drifter, which we've talked about a lot in this podcast over the last few weeks. And that is his now was was biweekly now his weekly. Um, sort of dive into the Los Angeles video game scene where he kind of gives an update on his, his own uh, kind of doings and then does a long form interview with someone from the LA game scene, which is pretty cool. Oh, and uh, the most recent one, at least at the time I'm speaking these words was with uh, Alex Preston, who the actual like sort of creator of Hyperlight Drifter. So that's cool. Also coming up in the Idle Thumbs community is the return of Wizard Jam. Oh, man, yes. Wizard Jam is a game jam that the Idle Thumbs community itself throws. We basically have nothing to do... We literally have nothing to do with it. it it's uh, It comes out of the game development forum on the Idle Thumbs forum. It's a two-week game jam where people make any game about whatever with the theme that your game your game's name is the name of an old Idle Thumbs episode. Um, there or was a recent one. Of... Yes, of, a, of an existing Alphonse mm-hmm. episode. Um, there have been two Wizard Jams. There was one around this time last year, I think, and then they also did a winter Wizard Jam that was vaguely holiday-themed as well. But uh, Wizard Jam is two weeks long. It's coming May 7th to 22nd, 2016, and there the uh, the Wizard Jam forum has been updated with information about this year's jam. Um, one one notable change is that any podcast name from anywhere in the Idle Thumbs network is now allowed. So you can use <laughs> all of Nels Anderson's really gross Terminal 7 Netrunner episode names. Yep. Um, people are already excited for Rigid Body Rat King, which was a couple of weeks ago uh, as an episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as yeah, a, yeah, as a Wizard Jam. They're Christ. like, oh, that one makes itself. Um, so, Man, I, th- but weirdest possible like branch of, uh, of Idle... Of oh. Wizard Jam names is like tone control, uh, yeah. designer notes. You can, a game. You can make called, a game that's just called like, Ken Levine yeah. or Jake Solomon. <laughs> yep. Uh. <laughs> oh man, crazy possibilities present themselves. Yeah, it's uh, 
there's 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 some good stuff. Also, the the, the thing that I really highly recommend doing is going to the Wizard Gem forum and uh, look at the trailer that they've cut of. Oh my it's God. a montage have of past this, Wizard Jam games. No. It's, it's an amazing trailer. It's wild. The stuff people have made in the last two Wizard Jams is really impressive. Like it's a mix of people who are very clearly are like indie or AAA game developers, and also people who just have never made a game before and this is an excuse because the community is really friendly and welcoming and the stuff that people turn out uh, at the end of these things is crazy. It's yeah. really impressive. So we we should really like try and commit to streaming the results of this one this time, mm. which we, we yeah. totally failed to do. We could do an all singing, all dancing Wizard Jam triple threat stream and play through like 70 we c- games. We could, but I don't want to commit to something too big <laughs> because we haven't even done the simpler version of it in That's the past. That's true. So... We'll, we'll, we should really try and stream yeah, we uh, the results of this jam because it's mm-hmm. and yeah, watch the just watch the trailer. Even if you have no plans to participate in the Wizard Jam, it is such a fun trailer to watch, and it will get you totally pumped up yep. about small scale games and game development. It's the really the cool. Wizard Jam 2016 thread also has links to the Itchio galleries for the previous two Wizard Jams, so you can also get really quick access to all of the games in the trailers from that thread. So yep. check it out; it's on IdleThumbs.net. Hit the forums link, and there's a Wizard Jam forum in there that's got this is the only thread in it right now because the previous two jams have been archived so check that out yep and so that's that's that this week thanks for listening to idle thumbs you can find us on twitter at idle thumbs or on facebook at facebook.com slash idle thumbs and you can send us mail we didn't read a lot of mail this week but um we always get really good mail and we will i'm sure have a chunkier reader mail section um next week send it to questions at idle thumbs.net and thank you for listening bye bye (laughs) 